Hi, this is Paul. Uh, what I'm about to play is part of a five-hour live stream that happened on the new attempts to uh, better coordinate and consolidate some of the little just chatting streams that are going on on some of the smaller channels in this little corner of the internet. As some of you may know, um, uh, Pastor Mo from Chicago, he's a Christian Reformed church planter, has been working with Jacob. Um, <laughs> To, to sort of put together a foundation and add a little bit more coordination with a lot of the conversations. The Randos United channel has sort of been redefined and a lot of the chatting is moving away from Jacob's, Jacob Federici's channel into the, the Randos United channel, a little bit more of an independent space so that Jacob can, can use his channel for whatever Jacob wishes to use his channel for. And I, Jacob was on and Sam was on, so I decided to jump in. And, and what developed was really a pretty amazing conversation about the challenges going on in church. Um, Sam shared a few things that he's dealing with in terms of, oh, uh, relating to his local church. Um, uh, CW shared some of his story with respect to relationships with local churches. Part of what has marked this little corner for a long time has been difficulties in terms of relating to local churches. And as a pastor, I can tell you that pastoring a local church is uh, getting harder and harder. And one of the things that we, there's a, there's a whole host of reasons for that, but one of the things that, that Sam really highlighted here is the rise of the autodidact. And what do we mean by that? People are getting better and better educated in all sorts of things. Sam, of course, is a biblical Unitarian, and anyone who wants to sort of take on Sam with respect to the Trinity is going to have their hands full because Sam is very well read, especially in this area. This happens a lot with individuals who are intelligent, well-educated, have access to the internet, have access to Amazon. They can very quickly become experts in one little portion of, let's say, Christian theology. And then, of course, in a local church, it's led by a pastor who may have some theological education, elders who likely don't have theological edu education. They're ensconced in a tradition that has propositional formulations of their situation. They may or may not be attached to larger denominations that both sort of hold the, the theological um, the theological propositions in a in a group. And well, how does that go? I suspect, I can't know this of course, but I suspect that before the, especially before the Protestant Reformation, people had, if you, if you were marginally literate, lived in a town, books were enormously expensive, most of the propositional information you would get would simply be a part of your your culture. Now, of course, there were extremely cosmopolitan times and places in the world. You can think about the Roman Empire. You can think about some of these major, major urban areas in the Roman Empire. Um, and there, of course, there were 
there are, I'm sure were very learned people and, and you had to sort of figure out how to deal with that in church. And a lot of what that produced were a lot of fightings and warrings in churches that sometimes would spill out into, um, into bloodshed. And this, of course, went on through the Protestant Reformation, the bitter wars between Catholics and Protestants, uh, the treatment in Europe of Jews at Protestant hands. I mean, in terms of grievances, we could, of course, everybody's, everybody can, can stake their case. But we are now in an age where, in fact, um, praise God, we are not killing each other over these things right now, or at least right here. Part of what's been a real treasure in this little corner of the internet is to try to have a variety of good faith conversations all over the map. And even on this page, you've got Jonathan, who's now a, 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 a Noahide in Grand Rapids, Michigan, of all places. We've got CW, who's in who's in Minnesota, and he's got his own interesting story. And again, C.W., very much a someone who's a, a theology nerd in, in Reformed theology and, and a whole bunch of other readings. You've got Richard, who who grew up in going to a, a Christian Reformed school in Washington State, now studying in Biola, but you know, worshiping with Orthodox. You've got Jacob and his own, I won't go into his own particular religious story. You've got Hezi in Israel, who always sucks me in when we begin to talk about all of these elements of, of, of church and state issues that arise with the state of Israel. You've got Chad, the alcoholic, who worships with Lutherans, but has his, obviously his own story deeply shaped by by recovery. Charlie is, as talked about in this live stream a little bit, he's preparing for church leadership and Hezi really nicely sort of puts him on the spot and says, you're preparing for leadership, but you're listening to both people who are in the church and struggling with the church. And you're looking at church leaders who, you know, maybe they just really hope that nobody who knows more about, well, that's that's absolutely impossible. Another conversation that I've seen happen many times has been clergy who have, you know, I display my ignorance all the time on this channel, clergy who know some things about some things, but are not theologians being necessarily scholars in a particular field, or then they, then they have to talk about ethics, they have to talk about technology, they have to talk about whole ranges of things, and you've got all kinds of people in their churches and figuring out how this all works together. And and how, I mean, propositional, propositional formulations of truth and theology are definitely not going away, partly simply because of their utility in helping group people together historically. But what's going to happen to that as modernity recedes? How can we, in fact, figure out how to live together productively and how to uh, seek God with all of our hearts, with all of our different convictions, and, and, and not just in sort of a, um, you know, good fences make good neighbors sort of way, but, but a way that, that really gets at what, what I think drives a lot of us to this little corner. I think many of us in this little corner are in some ways exiled by this larger process and we don't quite know what to do about it or to do with it. You know, I, and you know, there's, you know, spats between groups, but you look at, you look at most of the people who, let's say, have their own channels that are active in this little corner. You think about Grail Country, you think about Jacob, you think about Karen and, um, 
and and the meaning code. You think about Sevilla. You think about um, I mean all of these different channels. I mean, talk to a guy like Nate who is who's so incredibly well read, and now he's he's pulling in new theologians and pastors to have conversation, and it's it's tremendously daunting because nobody but nobody has time to read everything. And, and so we're, we're trying to synthesize and come up with a worldview and live together and figure out how to do worship. And it's a tremendously challenging space. So I just wanted to put this little preamble onto this about an hour's worth of video that I that I took from the live stream and and to give a little bit of orientation for it of course if you want to listen to all five hours you can those of you who have spent any time playing with the the new just chatting oh practice that we have sort of developed lately can um, can of course, jump in and do so anywhere to, to me it's it's been a real delight i i caught a little bit of um pastor mo and um and tayo and uh, lost cause chatting while lost cause was doing some drywall work and tayo of course um wonderful um wonderful guy who I met in the UK, has two estuary groups, one in Birmingham and one in Manchester, and of course Pastor Mo, a church, CRC church planter in Chicago. So, yeah, and, and I know, and I, you know, when I was having this conversation, I was thinking about many of you who really wrestle with this. I was thinking about some of you who, who might think you might like to go to church, but you seem to have and right, understandably so, very little confidence that that any church could fit you for a host of different reasons. We we have all been so deeply impacted by by particular particular idiosyncratic beliefs and experiences that 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 make it make it difficult for some to to sort of fit into a church. You know, I, I continue to have really significant conversations in the Christian Reformed space. Um, the Christian Reformed Church, not just living stones, but churches are struggling mightily. Pastors and church leaders are, 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 are really trying to figure out what to do. And, you know, in many ways, a lot of those struggles are the sort of the, the impetus for this channel because... I, I don't just need to talk about this among colleagues in the Christian Reformed Church. I, the, the world is enormously broad, and, and it's not just Sacramento. It's, it's a big world out there, and even this little corner is only one little portion of the world. And so I find conversations like these so immensely important and, and helpful in listening and hearing and shaping and and trying to figure out not just how to relate to other denizens of the corner um, via Zoom or YouTube or or Discord or any of these channels, but but to figure out how this impacts ministry in my local church as well. So here's the conversation. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. But to have a little bit of understanding that people have fought over the centuries for over many kind, many things that we today look at and say, 
Why did they kill over that? It's usually not the only thing that was in play. I, I, when I look at this, and and I can't ignore the fact that there's also uh, uh, Jonathan's over here, and uh, I, I wonder to myself again as a Jew, seeing things through my narrative, uh, how how there becomes more of unification between Jews and Christians. And then looking at someone like Sam, and I know he's telling Jacob, he's disagreeing with Jacob, but I would say that Jacob and I look at Sam as like a, and I'm sorry if this is offensive, but like a data point of how fusion like that could happen. But like when I look at someone like Sam, I wonder to myself, is this, is, is that, what we require to, to sort of dig back and look down and reread and see, ah, maybe our Christian brothers are looking at things this way. And then that's already a much more cohesive language that Jacob is saying, well, you know, of course uh, you're, you're being kicked out of the church because like you're sounding a lot more like me and the conversation like me is, is that's, that's, you know, that that's, that doesn't jive well or, or but but I and I understand that what J, uh, what uh, Sam is saying he's like well it should jive well because you you should in theory notice the difference but the tension is there. Part of why I do what I do and part of why I have the approach that I have certainly part of it is my that I'm high in openness. But there there are other reasons for this how. Let's say how I live my life as compared to Sam. Let's say if someone had a video camera of following me and following Sam along all day long, or someone was watching the way we spend our money, or someone was watching how we interacted with our children, et cetera, et cetera. Jacob's point that, well, this theology has consequences. I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to argue against that. It certainly does. But. There are many other layers as well that we are participating in of American culture, of um, the way that technology has moved and shaped how we live today. Uh, One of the nice pieces I got from my mother was something written by my grandmother describing Grand Rapids at the beginning of the 20th century, Mm -hmm. how her mother would go out, she'd dress herself up, she'd take an ax, and she'd go down to chop the water off of the river to haul water in order to wash clothes. And mm-hmm. she would wa- She would spend a day or two a week just washing clothes. Um, I mean, there's so many layers of this that we are dealing with now. And that is not to in any way um, sort of say that the theological doesn't count or isn't an important layer in that stack. But when we're talking with each other, there are many, many layers in stacks today that likely weren't the way they were even 100 or 200 or much less 2,000 years ago. And so when it, when it comes to how we relate to one another, um, it, it bears, you know, I, I, would, I would rather lead with the teaching of Jesus that um, we, love our, uh, we love our neighbors, you know, as we love ourselves, and that goes all the way up to and including our enemies. And so figuring out how to love one's enemies is a really important and difficult thing. But that is, I think, what part of what we are called to do. And, and that includes our theological adversaries from, um, from centuries ago, which makes, for me, 
the you know just look at the look 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 at the astounding level of diversity we have in these little eight squares right now now nine i mean and and you know some of the hottest disagreements i mean when jacob was up here in sacramento i you know when jacob's up i i, I take the opportunity to quiz him about all sorts of things about zionism tell me about the history of zionism tell me about your disagreements with hezi because i'm very interested in that um I'm interested in all it. of these things. Because he loves it when I quote the Satmar Rebbe and say that the uh, modern state of Israel is Masa Satan Hitzliach. So Jacob's <laughs> speaking in tongues again. Um, <laughs> but, but part of what we are doing now is we are in this process of negotiation. We are, we are figuring out how to love one another. And again, in the bigger picture where we talked you know, with Hezi about you know, sort of the, the great American experiment, we are part of this great American experiment of pluralism and trying to figure out, okay, how can we live together? How can we live together productively? And, you know, these questions of the state of Israel that Hezi keeps bringing to our corner, which I find endlessly fascinating because, okay, where in the stack is carrying bread on the Sabbath to people in the hospital? Where on the stack is Sabbath observance or maybe New Jersey blue laws that I grew up with? Um, now, how do we, with all of these layers that we have going, how do we, again, I come at this as a Christian, and so, you know, I forefront Jesus, how do we love one another? How do we love one another well? And and so, you know, I, as a Protestant minister, I, I can't answer for... Whoa. Um, I, can't, I can't answer for... Um, I can understand some of, you know, the, the concerns that, let's say, Sam's uh, church leadership has. I certainly understand some of that. But, um, you know, at the same time, I, I, I don't find that they are loving Sam well, even as he is a political adversary. And I don't understand how, um, you know, his wife's service in the nursery or, or, or Sam's service on the piano um, makes sense in terms of, but I, they have to they have to deal with their own house i don't have to answer for that so yeah. too much talking we almost never get yeah. cw to come on and i would love to hear see why cw felt you should come on well it's because i was here that's why just let's just keep it um yeah i mean i am a lover of chad there's no question about that um yeah, you know, I mean, well, I mean, a lot of people know I have my own um, experience being uh, excommunicated uh, from a local congregation. It, uh, for me, it was um, a little bit different. Like it's, it started with uh, being very reluctant to join the church and being kind of wooed and courted into that. And, and I had sort of said that, um, and this might have been a self-fulfilling prophecy, but I had said, uh, you know, almost half joking that if they let me join the church, they'd end up excommunicating me. <laughs> that sort of sort of didn't happen, but but it started like with me having questions about the intellectual tradition, the theological points that I had subscribed to formally 
as a function of this thing that was called the member affirmation of faith. And so I was not at the kind of like Sam saying with his um, scientific study there, you know, I wasn't at the level of overt rejection of any of these doctrines. I just wasn't sure that I could have explicit assent to them anymore. Uh, so I was in a kind of agnostic place. You, you had the problem of too much thinking and learning. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Well, in my case, it was specifically related to uh, doctrine of scripture, although that did eventually extend into questions of historical orthodoxy writ large. But the struggle that I had was in, in my little Presbyterian congregation, there, there were no elders who were conversant in the issues at, at the level of detail that I was thinking about them. Um, Imagine that. <laughs> Yeah, and, and so it wasn't like we like we couldn't even have a, a meaningful conversation about it. And so it just reached this sort of impasse where I had this, you know, endless accumulation of greater and more intense questions and and there was just silence on on the other side on, on the side of the the leadership and so i begged them to just because uh, because i felt that it violated my conscience to uh, formally assent to these ideas that i did not have deep rooted convictions about and, and so I begged them to just let me continue in the life of the church, but drop the formal membership. That's, like, that's really all that I wanted. Paul's smirking because I, well, I don't know why, but maybe because he knows that it doesn't quite work that way. But, but below, go ahead. Well, again, this pattern of propositional assent has been a very effective way of forming community. And I know both you, CW and Sam, are better educated in certain areas than the vast majority of clergy that you're going to bump into. And that's a difficulty, given that very traditional and effective form of community building. And the fact that your random clergy on some given corner that's close to Sam or CW's house or in their city stumbles on this, not necessarily surprising. Because no local clergy is going to be expert in now the range of pluralities that we have in any given urban area. This is a vast difference from what my grandfather faced as a minister in, let's say, rural America during the Depression. And I think that part of this is that churches are struggling with how to integrate expertise into their hierarchies, especially Protestant ones. Because, I mean, it used to be that in order to be the sort of person who learned about these things, you had to go through the formal education of the system. And probably the only way that that was happening to you is if you were on the path to become clergy 
or yeah. if you were uh, very wealthy, in which case you already had your own position in the hierarchy of, you know, that. And I think that part of the Protestant Reformation was the problem of autodidacts, right? What happens now that we have uh, that books are cheaper and that the standard of living is higher and literacy is more common, such that we have people teaching themselves outside of the formal structures where we used to be able to integrate the smartest people. And so there, you would never have the problem of having someone smarter than the clergy or more educated than the clergy because there is no path to become educated without becoming the clergy. Servetus. Yeah, and, and Michael Servetus was of that. He was a literal Renaissance man's autodidact in, you know, every subject, right? And that that was the problem is that, and, and this is, I think, all the more common now in the internet age and, you know, where most of us get educated completely outside the church, even now on theology. And I, I think that the theoretically, if Sam is super teaching himself about these subjects, he should be rising in the status hierarchy of his church such that it never is the problem that there's someone above him in that, that is less educated and making a decision over him. So funny enough, I, I think this goes back to uh, where we started with the Yanuka, because that is actually what I think is the beauty within uh, Judaism that I found it like when I started asking what a posek is, which is a se senior rabbi, I'm like, okay, how do you become a posek? And people kind of said, well, you know, you could, you become, first you get smicha and then you get dayanuts, but that doesn't really make you a posek. Um, the, it, it is a question of people recognizing, okay, Chazi knows more Torah than I do. Yosef knows more Torah than I do. And in some uh, instances, I know more Torah than they do. And when you get a child prodigy like the Yanuka, right, as a 34-year-old, like the other rabbis are, in fact, willing to admit, okay, this is somebody who knows more than I do. And that sort of just willing to bow to greater knowledge and greater, uh, not just knowledge, I have to say, I mean, if, if propositional if it's, knowledge, it's a part of it. It's yeah, it's a big part of it. Part of it. Huh. I'm, I'm, I, so I actually, so I am, I think I am constantly pushing back against the people who, their response to propositional tyranny is some sort of anti-propositionalism that says propositions are worthless. And it's like, no, 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 that you can't go that far. Propositions matter. And that's part of why I think Sam should start his own church as opposed to uh, trying to get these idolaters to accept him. I want to I want to follow up on that and this also relates to Charlie. So Charlie you were talking about earlier before you 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 cut off that you know you maybe want to go into a leadership position. Right? And now you're also hearing Pastor Paul talk about how clergy right is not going to be able to handle someone like Sam or CW. 
Now, Charlie, you're sitting down and on the Discord, you talk about the list of books that you want to be reading and you're listening and you're reading and you're on the and and you are you you are slowly but surely turning yourself into one of those people that modern day You're clergy on the path is not to autodidacty yeah. right, is not is not going to be able to contain with and then or maintain and then and then won't be able to contain but then you also want to be in a leadership position so this also relates to what Jacob was saying right now about opening up your own church Sam then I guess how how does that look like and it also goes to Paul like is Sam supposed to be like, you know, toe the line or is it like, no, like be like a caress and fly. Well, not too flies to the sun, but I'm just saying like, get, get, you know, get out there, do make, make your own thing. And potentially a hundred years down the line, 200 years down the line, they're going to be like, Oh, you know, St. Sam, he taught us about X, Y, Z. But, but I, I, I mean, like what, what, what is, what is Charlie supposed to think hearing that most clergy are not equipped for you know this new world. But now, hold on. Okay, so let's say Sam decides he wants to start his own church. Now, Sam might give week after week after week of amazing articulations in the defense of biblical Unitarianism, but Sam is also going to have to be competent on the rest of the areas, and not only Sam, but the community gathers around him because then the next question is going to be, what kind of children's ministry does Sam have? What's Sam's theology of the Eucharist? I've got Where someone does... who can work in the nursery, though. Well, he's got someone that can work <laughs> in the nursery. Well, whether she wants to be in the nursery every single week. Uh, how close is Sam to my house? See, part of the thing is that in real life, churches work on all of these layers. And this is a big part of Sam's difficulty because on one hand you say okay biblical unitarian there are some groups in chicago that i can go to so i can be a part of that but where are they geographically what are the people like there um maybe there's a child molester in the mercy at in the nursery at the biblical unitarian church um i mean there are there are so many aspects of what goes on to actually instantiate a real life community that there are going to be hierarchies in which these things function. And because there's, especially in an urban area, there's so much available to us, we actually struggle with just how difficult this is. I'm often in conversation with people who live in rural areas where there are very few churches available. And I'll tell you, the number of aspects that go into what we want from a church, there's a lot of those. And generally speaking, let's say a leader of that community is often going to be a generalist because they might not be an expert in the details of Nicene Trinitarianism, which is why they tend to, they tend to clump up with other groups, have a hierarchy, have a denomination. And that's why this whole thing works the way it does. This makes me think of uh, C.S. Lewis being kind of the smartest guy in the room at his church and like kind of having to deal with some of that. Like not everybody that is well read or an autodidact who can like read circles around, you know, the leader is probably well equipped to even be the leader. You know, like most of the people probably couldn't even keep up and they probably just get burnt out or something like that. That'd be my guess. 
Interestingly, Lewis didn't even think of himself as a theologian. And, you know, assuming he went to church in Oxford, I'm sure there were, uh, you know, no shortage of Arianite ministers in his charge there. But, and just to add to Paul's complexity, right, competent in building institutions is not always going to come with competence and theological mind, right? And so, if you have this character, what are you going to do? Are you going to force, um, what, are you, are you going to force very educated people to flounder in starting churches? So this is why you have these structures to, to handle all of that. So, yeah. so this is where it goes back to Martin Luther being the source of all evil, okay. which is this idea of the priesthood of all, of all members of the entire sure. church, right? If yeah, but that's what Eric building, just said today. Eric just said that in his video today. He's a Catholic. He said everybody's called to priesthood. We, yes and no. I mean, obviously, there's a priesthood in. The, and isn't all the members of Israel uh, in certain sense a priest? In a certain sense. Oh, okay, and interesting. Are, no, it, it, no, seriously. It is, it, it, it is recognizing, and this goes back to my discussion with Father Stephen uh, DeYoung and his ideas about Paul within Judaism, because he is reinterpreting Paul of Tarsus as being within Judaism and actually understanding, um, and Father uh, Eric says ministerial priesthood is different from uh, than baptismal priesthood, um, understanding that different people have different roles within the church. I'm constantly quoting 1 Corinthians 12, right? And if you're willing to have theologians, if you're willing to accept some people do X and some people do Y, and those are different, then it's not as much of a problem as what you get in these egalitarian churches. But decision-making always requires a hierarchy. Or a very small number of people. <laughs> or a very small number of people. And should it all then? And that's what uh, that's what's, I mean, the whole point about Peterson and Peugeot is that action is action in the real world requires decision and all of this. And, you know, it a while ago during the seeker movement, they did a lot of surveying about, let's, I'll say, let's look at the, the you know, if we're going to measure um, church size by success, seminary education was a negative indicator of pastoral success. In other words, Protestant clergy with less theological formation, grew bigger churches that outperformed, in some ways, clergy that had been through everything. Now, it's easy to laugh at that, Jacob, but there's but when you come to Living Stones and you see no children, well, you know, this, that's deficient. That's, those point out my deficiencies. You know, I was not able to turn this church around. And, you know, when people say, well, if I lived in Sacramento, I'd come to your church. It's like, ah, 
combinatorial explosiveness with respect to any given local church. Does your church have a youth ministry? No. Does your church have a nursery right now? No. Does your church have a have a have a nice welcoming facility? No. How's the church's music program? How's how how's Paul's preaching for Pete's sake? So there's a lot to this, and any instantiation that can actually arrive at something that seems successful, that in some ways is able to scale multi-generationally, scale this way, you know, has something to be said for it, even heterodox movements, let's say, like the Latter-day Saints. So it, it, reality is enormously complex. Jacob, I, I would just piggyback on that and say I, I've recently the last few weeks have been going to this new synagogue um, I'm anyways going to be leaving Jerusalem in a, around like a year and a half but uh, I'm it's trying out this new community and this new community is supposed to be a mixture of uh, what they call let's say uh, serious modern Orthodox or religious Zionist Jews and uh, more of the ultra-Orthodox American... Uh, uh, no? Uh, no, like yeshivish. Um, like a, 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 a Jew from America that's living in Israel right now and sort of have them praying together. Um, however, in the synagogue, uh, they were having a Purim uh, party right now, and there was a committee that was talking about what's going to be on this Purim festival. And... There was this a discussion if for the women there was going to be a women's reading of the Esther portion, and there's nothing wrong with this. There's nothing. Uh, 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 there, there shouldn't be a real issue with this. However, the more conservative uh, members of the community wouldn't wouldn't hear of this at all. And then there is this rabbi, young rabbi, that is really coming from a more, uh, I would say, a more progressive background. However, he is really trying to maintain this balance, and it's it's a it's a really good show for me because in this new community that I'm going to be moving to, there's talks about a, an egalitarian synagogue, and the majority though is going to be a Orthodox community. And are they going to be able to work together, both, you know, curbing their own in interests in certain extents, and and you know, create that balance? So I'm very, I'm very sensitive to what Paul, Pastor Paul, is saying about on the ground. There's a reality, which, which you know, forces, forces something ultimately. And 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 you know, back to Sam and his conversation with the elders, they're saying like, listen. That's great, and you're awesome, but we're really trying to maintain something over here. And, you know, Father Eric has 400, what did he say, 400 or 500 youths in his uh, youth group. And, you know, that's th they look at that as success, and maybe they look at Sam as this is too controversial for us. This starts shaking this, you know, this thing that we have going. So, um, so let me ask you a question that I know uh, doesn't always fall along the lines that it should but in in the sephardic way used to and i would like to see happen again which was if somebody comes to your synagogue who obviously knows shas and poskim let's say he is the yunuka right and he knows all of shas and poskim 
far better than anybody else. And he says, this is allowed or this is not allowed, right? He, he's, he binds and loosens on earth as it is in heaven, right? Are, are the people, are the people going to accept? And I mean, this goes back to uh, Rabbi Eliezer, right? And, and our people are going to be like, oh, you know what? This guy knows Shas and Poskin in ways that I don't know. And despite the fact that I'm one of these modern nebuchs who believes in women of the wall and all that bullshit, um, I am going to accept somebody who knows more Torah than, than, than I do and simply go with it. So I, I just to reiterate what Jacob is saying, and, and I'm, if that question is to me, I'll, I'll answer it. But if will you be able to identify the authority when it's standing when it's standing in front of you? And this is true. There's a joke that goes about like you know when the Messiah would come. There's still groups within Judaism is going to be like you know the size of his uh, of his uh, hat is not big enough, and like I don't know, like it's still like all these challenges w will still be there. So. And again, this sort of goes back to, you know, Sam, should you open up your own church? I don't know, like, if you're looking around and you're seeing, you're seeing that the the saints and sages and and um, and uh, church fathers that you look up to, at a at a certain point of time, were controversial, or were or were people running after them, were saying they're talking complete nonsense, but. Um, I don't know. You, it, it, it is tough because, like, in this synagogue, for example, it wouldn't be enough that, uh, like, I could see that they're uncomfortable when I talk to them about specific uh, uh, code in Judaism, and they're like, "Okay, it's not fun that this guy knows to answer our questions because it's just uncomfortable right now because we're still going to disagree with you." So it doesn't matter if you're pointing out a specific line; that's just not the way we do things. And then you're sort of left in this like awkward space. Um, and then I think this to myself, problem, this is the problem with modern orthodoxy. This well, is I why mean, I couldn't take modern orthodoxy seriously. They wanted a certain answer and it didn't matter that the answer wasn't something you could get out of Shas and Postkin. And so, I mean, Jacob, part of what you're also saying inherent in the, the vote with your feet model working right in judaism where people find oh this person knows their stuff i'm going to go over and listen to this guy is inherent in that is the idea that individuals can recognize it or maybe not infallibly but right like on the whole democracy of the voting uh, based off of the distributability of the larger populace to all individually recognize these things is going to be valuable and productive and that's sort of what I think that Luther really meant by the priesthood of all believers was something along those sorts of lines, whereas a highly clerical system might sometimes deny that gifting being distributed among the common people. Among the common people, look, the fact is, I, I mean, this is a common saying in Orthodox uh, Jewish synagogues, I don't know how tall the mountains are, right? What, who am I to uh, stick my head in between the mountains, right? And so, you know, that's, that's a real thing.
that I have to consider. Like yesterday, I was I was at Rabbi Davidi's house, who is a very very prominent rabbi here in Los Angeles, <coughs> and he he obviously knows far more than I do. Far, far more than I do. And we have very real disagreements. And the question becomes, at what point do I have to, do I have to say, okay, so Rabbi Wagner knows uh, more than I do, and Rabbi Shochat knows more than I do, and Rabbi Debi'idi knows more than I do. And I, how do I choose between them? And in Judaism, the fact is, we have this idea that, okay, this person's a posek. This person is obviously at a level that even if I disagree with him, even if I go to a different synagogue, like that person, if Rabbi Breidowitz says, you're allowed to smoke marijuana, no, but I can't imagine anybody within Orthodox Judaism saying, Somebody who goes to Rabbi uh, um, says, and not that he ever said this, but somebody who goes to Rabbi Breidowitz's synagogue isn't allowed to smoke marijuana because Rabbi Breidowitz has those shoulders. And, and we recognize there are people who have such shoulders that they can, in fact, decide what is allowed and, and not allowed. Now, th this gets really complex because if you listen to your language, and we hear this all the time on the internet, they're really smart. Okay, what does that mean? They know more than I do. What does that mean? Part of what happens, let's say, when you look at, let's say, the miracles of Jesus. Jesus was known as a miracle worker. Whether or not you believe those things happened, a big piece of that is that sort of mastery impresses us. Now, there's even, you know, there's even people working on that and saying, well, it can't just be miracles. And fair enough, because... We got a lot of this in Protestantism too. It's an enormously complex matrix that goes into the question of authority. And you, Jacob, when you know when we had lunch, you know the first lunch we had today, when you were talking about the Rebbe, and and how you so wish that you could have been part of that community when the Rebbe was there, and when you read what he writes, it it. He speaks as one with authority to your heart, and your heart strangely warms, and I could put all kinds of things in this. Um, even the language that we use about someone being really smart or knowing a lot, even all of that language is insufficient to us because we, we actually have an intuitive sense that there's we, what we're looking for, obviously, to me, is god and the son of god and the presence of god and the kingdom of god because those are global ideas the likes of which there's combinatorial explosiveness in there the likes of which we can't fully get our arms around and when we in fact encounter them we fall to our knees and and then serve them and all of this is part of that process and so even though we use all of these little ways of saying they're smart or they're holy or all of these things, even all of this language is still very much sort of a rough approximation for what we're trying to get into. And so, you know, our, there is an idolatry of theological accuracy. And I've seen this in my own denomination for a long time. And part of the reason I call that an idolatry is because like all idolatries, it's a reduction of that which cannot be reduced. 
into one particular aspect and level. And that isn't to say that theological accuracy is unimportant or theological articulation is unimportant. All of these things have importances. That's how idolatries work, is that all of these things need to, need to stay in their proper place. And, and so this is, the, this is the sort of wrestling we're doing. And now we live in a world, thank God, where we can, in fact, and this is an enormous achievement in humanity, we can, in fact, um, commune across all of these different lines that for centuries upon centuries people have been shedding blood over. That we're having difficulty should come as no surprise. That we're understanding each other as well as we are that's the miracle. That's a wonderful thing. And what we're doing with conversations like these and groups like these and huddles like this is hopefully in ways that we can't even articulate, begin to level up. Now, each of us, of course, can only imagine ourselves leveling up within um, the stack that we have received. You know, every now and then someone makes a big transition and they'll go from sort of one stack to another. But we're trying to level up in the stack that we've received. We're trying to grow from each other. That's why Father DeYoung comes on your channel. And, and this is the process that we're doing. And, you know, so, you know, and that's why all of your bombastic um, articulations about Martin Luther or Protestantism and, you know, people take those things seriously. And so, like Nate, they, well, I'm not going to talk to Jacob. Okay, fair enough. He doesn't have to talk to you. You don't have to talk to him. Part of the reason I talk to both of you is because I believe that I learn from both of you. And I think, in fact, what you have to give me makes me stronger, better. And I believe in that sense, hopefully closer to God. Right. And, like, I, I, I appreciate your... Amen. Your, Yes, amen, for sure. And, like, th there's two things going on there. Like, like with the example of Jacob not talking to Nate Heil, there's always going to be a necessity to prune down the combinatorial explosiveness that we have. So I'm not going to investigate Islam. I'm not going to investigate the like all of these things, right? And the the I I appreciate that you expanded beyond Jacob's emphasis on authority because one one thing I am wrestling with right now is that I have Sam and Jacob and you, Paul and Father Stephen. There are all of these people who, from my perspective, are all epistemically on the same level. They're all peers. But then how do I choose which one to follow, right? It's something like we're handed these stats and we have to um, go with the providence of God. Um, to rely on that, and I think that's why Hezri will say to me, keep going to math, Richard, that's a beautiful thing, right? Where, like, I hear him say that, but I'm still stressed in my heart 
that I have investigated all of the accusations Jacob has against Paul of Turkey. Or that I have investigated all of the, the things that Sam has to say about Trinitarianism. Like, that causes stress within me. But somehow, some way, I still have to live out in a stack. Um, and it was a big turning point in my life where when I heard Jonathan Peugeot say to uh, Rachel Ward, I forget his name, um, not Stephen, anyway, when Jonathan said to Rachel Ward, where, where are you standing such that you're able to make these judgments? Like that was like, okay, I have to stand somewhere to make the judgments between all of these different epistemic peers that I'm dealing with. And yes, maybe I will jump stack eventually. But there is no stackless plane from which I can adjudicate all of the things like with total um what's your phrase, Paul? Um um the monarchical vision. There is no stackless monarchical vision from which I can adjudicate all of these, all of these stacks. And I think that that has the the realization of that has led us to this moment where we are able to communicate cross stacks, and we are able to respect each other with the realization that okay, we have to be in that and there are improvements that we can make to all of our staff but you have to be in one right and that's what is bringing about the respect that I think we're finding in this moment I would uh what what's what do you guys think the root of our collective problem is That which which I, collective problem? <laughs> I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think the root of it is that, like, due to the enlightenment and, and globalization, we've realized the diversity of stats. Like that, at least that, that's what I'm at with it. I, what I have noticed is there are a lot of people who. So I've taken to saying my beliefs when I was 35 are not the same beliefs as I have now. And they're not the same beliefs as I had 25 when I was 25 or 15 or five. And that should be really obvious. Uh, yet there are plenty of people who feel a fear that their beliefs now are not the same ones they had at 25, certainly, and oftentimes at 15. And it's like there is a fear of growth, which admits that your former self was wrong, which says your current self is going to be wrong, right? So at 55, am I going to look back at Jacob at 45 and say, oh, cringe, like, why was he saying those things? 
I hope so. And that's not a Why hope wait? a lot of people have. Well, so so this was central to Max Weber's argument um, about re-enchanting Western thought, because he, he said there was a profound disincentive for working scientists to get into a specialized discipline because if they really embraced the critical ethos of science, they had to acknowledge exactly what you're saying, Jacob, which is that I'm going to be wrong. If I make a su substantial contribution that, that is, is really significant, it might stand for a hundred years, but it can't stand for a thousand years and so there's this kind of difficulty confronting the nihilism of how do I devote myself to the passion uh, that is required to pursue at the level of detail that specialization demands, whatever it is I'm passionate about. How do I maintain the passion and yet balance it with the need for self-worth and individual significance and so i think that's where I like you know re-enchanting and all of this uh these categories that weber introduces into the lexicon loom large over all our conversation uh, so i think it, it's also many of us are exiles of one of one form or another if you just look on this group um, i don't know about hezzy how much he's an exile but that's what we hear a lot of. Um, we have, I think Jacob just described it very well. We we know that to one degree or another, we know that the the inst our institutional fittedness is insufficient for what we desire, and so we are seekers in that way, and um, and and we are, and we continue then to try to create institutions, mold institutions, create and mold communities. And, um, and, and what we're, what we've discovered is that, um, you know, it's, 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 it's pretty good working together. It's, it's much better working together than being alone. So people in the comments are trying to find a poetic way of, of ex uh, expressing this. And on my pilgrimage, um, one piece of scripture that really kept on coming uh, forward um, in in Jewish Bibles, it's just Malachi three. In Christian Bibles, it's Malachi three and four, um, which is um, it. It talks about the burning sun that is going to come and it's going to heal the righteous and burn away the wicked, and it's the same sun, right? It's, it's that painful sun, which, which is the refining, smelting heat, which takes away that part of you, which is ungodly. And the love of God is the same thing as the judgment of God. Yes. So Malachi, Malachi 3 and 4, I highly recommend. A lot of this conversation... This is why I find it... This I was going to say a lot of this conversation to me sounds like 
in 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 Judaism, you would say Elu ve'Elu Divrei Elohim Chayim. These and these are the words of the Living God, and you know we have built into our system uh, the seventy faces of the Torah, uh, and that allows you to play around with so to speak seventy stacks, where you you know that you're placed within them. And you can, in a certain sec, in a certain sense, pick and choose between them, which allows you to have this uh, doubtful stability, because you could constantly be moving through and gliding through these stacks. And uh, I, I guess again, in Christianity, or when I'm thinking Sam having this conversation, I would want him to be able to have that flexibility of gliding on those stacks, and them seeing that as like this is another stack. That we could glide on, but 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 specifically in you know in this conversation here, I think about the the verse in Zephaniah about speaking to God in in one accord, uh, because that's how that conversation happens. But connecting to the verse in Malachi, you know, when I say when I think of the sun, to me I'm, I I see Sam having a conversation that is requiring him to sort of rip off a peel and be exposed to a certain sun, but in a certain sense, do that to the elders in front of him. But I don't know if they necessarily want to be exposed to that or see that that is another, that is another vantage point of having the conversation of what God is, because it, it could it, seemingly Sam is managing to balance both in a certain sense, the, tri the Trinitarian mind, uh, 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 theology and his own. However, can we do that dance all together? Like where we have Raj on this scene and Jacob is talking to Raj, he is taking Raj's words and then sort of seeing them, you know, in his own Jewish Oculus and seeing how that relates to have that common, common conversation. So I sort of want the elders to dig deeper and see when when Sam is saying this, how can we still, in our own stack, relate to that? It's but Sam's elders are also responsible for the people. And that's true. That's true. As, as that's much true. as, even if Sam's elders were willing to let's say go deep with Sam about the kinds of conflicts that happened within Christianity within the first thousand years. Um. A lot of those that they're they're concerned for the families, the marriages, the stability, and all of anybody who's responsible for a community knows that that is, you know, whether you're it's a Christian community or other communities, that's a holy calling because you know in Christian terms, I just preached on you know what Jesus says about causing little ones to stumble. Christians ought to take that very seriously, and so they you know make a calculation that. As as much as they perhaps may, might like Sam, they're worried, and that's the, these things then come up. I mean, there's a lot of dogmatic creep though in uh, Christian churches, right? So, so I mean, I think that and well, so Hezzy, I'm very interested in the themes that you I think perennially raise here. Um, and on two, two fronts, like, so I'm interested in the ecumenical question. So getting together with Christians and, and saying, well, what the hell is this Christianity thing anyway? 
and secondly, so that, so that, whatever that is, we can then meaningfully bring it into dialogue with genuinely diverse alternative perspectives. Um, and, and yeah, I think that we're at a, a pretty interesting moment that is perilous, but also promising for people like me and Sam for the self-didacts of the world. Uh, and, you know, I'll speak from uh, my own Christian vantage point. You know, the Christian intellectual tradition is a phrase that I coined for myself to, to refer to the sum total of theological output within this broad phenomenon, religious phenomenon of Christianity. Part of the difficulty is there wasn't a way to think of it that way. So, so Christianity is often synonymous within its traditions, uh, of which it's not monolithic by any means, right? But it's all often synonymous with a particular theological vantage point. And, and that's the kind of theological hegemony that is a hangover of the imperialism of Christendom that Christianity, especially intellectually, but not exclusively, is still trying to get over. And, and so, so even meaningfully asking the question of what is Christianity is extremely fraught because you're immediately confronted with which Christianity, which theology. And so, so we're, I mean, so, 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 so it's like we don't think of there as being a thing as the Christian intellectual tradition. I think there is, but, but most, most of us can't even think of it that way. But once you even get to that point, you know, a lot of problems are unresolved. So like the past 200 years of historical critical scholarship, for example, that, you know, that was inaugurated, like so many of these things in Protestantism anyway, and I do speak as a Protestant, you know, the, the German scholasticism is really setting the agenda for the, the Christian intellectual situation. But here in the Anglosphere, you know, most of us don't speak German. There's been a kind of slow trickle-down effect. And as, as all of these monolithic developments in German Protestantism make their way into the academy in different parts of the world, they hit different modes of Christian tradition, and then they get refracted in all kinds of crazy different ways. And you see this in a lot of N.T. Wright's writings. But, but I mean, I would say that like even something simple like the last 200 years of historical scholarship into the origins of Christianity has not really been absorbed by Christianity as a whole. And, and so the promise and the peril for, for thoughtful people today is, yeah, you can actually meaningfully engage with these issues now and 
you know, we have an opportunity to move the ball in Christian theology. And, and you know, theology may very well be at the bottom of this, because there's like the sort of academics who deal with all this stuff first, and then it kind of moves down to the artists, and then it goes into popular culture. It's <laughs> like religion in its organized form. It's like the last to change. <laughs> Go ahead. I would just say that you also have to throw in that equation how social media sort of disrupts that, how that makes it out to the masses. But I, I think, you know, like you said, moving the ball forward, I think that's true about Judaism as well to a certain extent. And that relates to the larger question, which is, you know, how do, let's say, Jacob and I see this space or see sort of this conversation with Christians I mean, and again, I see it as also, I see it possible for me to have this conversation because of the vantage point and where I am being in Israel. But that sort of to me is where the next step is because there is this monolith called Christianity. And, and, and now I am getting like a sense or a little dip into the, into the waters. I'm having this panel in front of me right now, have this kind of conversation. And, you know, I see it's like you just said, it's still it's still digesting this, you know, its own understanding about itself. Uh, and I think that, the, again, those are very exciting times because clearly there this is a divine movement. And I think Jacob would agree with that statement. And uh, be, be, because of that, it is so it is so important that it also knows how to recognize itself for what it is. Um, while I have my own thoughts, I would say like the 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 jury's you know the, the jury's out still on that about about you know what that's going to end up manifest. But again, hearing Sam, those to me are little you know percolations of Christianity itself is having a conversation with how it identifies itself. It seemingly to me it's because we ourselves as Jews need to better understand and, and Jacob and I have generally a more uh, progressive and, and, and open conversation at times about how we see uh, a Judaism and Christianity working together, but, but it requires both morphing of Judaism and of Christianity. 